0: all right here we are here we are here we are yeah welcome episode episode 39 episode 39 here we are nice yeah science in in between that's who. science in
1: between and i'm ollie
0: and i'm scott
1: yeah and so we've been you know the last like i guess four or five episodes we've been talking about learning spaces and we we uh, are going to use this episode kind of like as a transition episode is that how we're going to focuses yeah
0: i think i think what we've what we decided is um so we've we've to to look at the arc of this show you know we've we've talked a lot look at that well while we're creating it now this is how this works is the arc gets created the story -arc. arc yeah yeah So, um, so we've done a lot of talk about talk and practice and how, you know, what we want to see, what kind of activity practices we want to see in schools. We talked about cross-cutting concepts, which are how ideas get talked about across multiple areas of science. Um, And then we've been sort of doing this deep dive into the physical space and, and, uh, and digital space. and digital. Sorry, thank you, and digital space, and how those things, uh, how important those things are to learning environments, and and what we realized, or what we've talked about, is that maybe we want to take a step back from all that and talk about what is the underlying theory that drives all the way that we think about all of these different things. So, give us a real bed, get, give you guys, and let us talk through like the bedrock assumptions that we have about how learning happens what it is as a process what it means to know like this really sort of fundamental stuff that that organizes the way that we do our work so we thought today we'd transition a little bit sure f- sort of wrap up the learning spaces piece and transition into that and and there's a motivation for that and and you're you're going to explain that because I think you're the one who uh you know put this on our plate but motivation for what we're thinking about for next week in particular
1: yeah so I think we've done sort of this across the boards is as we've been talking about different things and talking about, you know, when we were at the beginning parts of the pandemic, when this episode, uh, this whole series started, we, we, we've kind of like seeded, you know, learning theory throughout. We've kind of like, okay, we're going to talk about this and as it co- came up, but I think we're just going to lean in. We're just going to lean into it and say, this is, we're going to spend several episodes just talking about different um, theorists that have kind of, you know, informed us. and. Informed how we see teaching and learning and our practice, and so we're going to start next week. And this is something as we were we were doing our planning for you know episodes coming up. We actually did some planning for episodes coming well, up. Let's not overstate yeah. it. Well, okay. come on, don't 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 <sighs> poo poo it, Scott. Oh, poo poo is a
0: recurring character.
1: I just thought I'd put that out there early, get it out of the way. Um, but uh, we're going to lean into uh, this learning theory stuff, and so next week. We're going to dig into John Dewey and yeah, John, it, our friend, John Dewey, friend of the show, John personal, Dewey. <laughs> personal,
0: personal and friend of the show. Yes.
1: Yeah. Our yeah. RIP
0: to a real one.
1: Right. Uh, he's, he's the man. Um, well, you know, the thing is, is that I, I have to say that when I reread John Dewey and I've you know read so much of it and I feel like I just keep going back to it, that what happens is I just find new stuff like that's i think that's the the great parts but anyway that's i we can save some of that yeah
0: keep that powder dry
1: right for next for next week but The reason why is we're looking ahead at like when, when John Dewey was born and when he was, and when he passed away and he passed away on June 1st, which is right around when this next episode is going to drop. So we figured, you know, let's celebrate the life of John Dewey by uh, digging into some of uh, some of his work and talking about how that is informing us. This guy was like, you know, a hundred years ago, a hundred plus years ago, you know? And, and I think that, You know, he was revolutionary for his time and he's revolutionary for even for our time now. And um, but there's so much there. And I think that if you were to look back over the design principles and again, again, this is the bridge episode is bridging between where we've come from and where we're planning to go. I think you see a lot of the stuff, uh, the John Dewey stuff in the design principles. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, you totally do. I mean, I think well i think our hope is that um as we go into this learning theory portion of the of the show um you know in the next few episodes that you'll see those connections right i mean i think w- w- the hope is that those principles those the the underlying theory drives all our thinking in all of these different areas right they're they're the they're the things that help us understand learning and and uh you know one of the contentions that i have Um, and I think you have uh, is learning theory and your learning theory uh, is important. So I think that's, that's the thing that we'll start the next series with is um, you know, how you think about how learning happens and what it is as a process, it actually has material consequences in the world. And I think um, we're going to, we're going to unpack that a little and, and talk about how we ended up where we did and why and then we're going to connect it back, hopefully, to some of these pieces about learning spaces and about cross-cutting concepts and the NGSS and and teaching online and all the things that have been part of what we've been talking about. But, yeah, I think I think learning theory, you know, obviously we're learning theory people, so we think sure. this, But but <clears throat> I feel like it's really important and it's really overlooked.
1: I agree. And I think that when we see... People, uh, teachers, and and what they do in the classroom. I think it's it's not uh, using this term again. It's 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 not ag- agnostic, right? It is mm. coming from a certain position of where you see um, your role as a teacher, a students' roles as learners, and how that happens. Like I, uh, I not to get too much into uh, a paper I read from a student, mm. but <clears throat> one of the students I was I've been working with recently. Uh, was talking about he was specifically looking at uh, work with one to one classrooms, and he kept using uh the term conduit that the computer was a conduit for transferring mm. learning transferring mm. information mm. and so that 's something I was really pushing back on with him and because i 'm like how does this fit within your you know learning theory and that was a question that I think was a little bit difficult for for this person because I don't know if they really thought about that before which is the challenge right is the challenge is that w- we see this as a process see teaching and learning as a process but how we practice that as teachers and how we practice that as as and how we see learners too is representative of our beliefs and that is threaded throughout not just how we actually organize the classroom or how we organize the things that happen in the classroom, digital mm. or online, but the things that we bring in, like I know you and I have talked about class dojo like numerous times, right? We've talked that yeah,
0: we about, we still haven't really talked about it, but, no, but
1: I think this might be a really good time for us to talk about it. Right. Because it is, um, it is not neutral when you pick mm-hmm. a tool like that. I mean, the tool itself is not a neutral tool. And when you bring it into the classroom, You're saying that this is something that reflects your position as a teacher, one's position as a teacher, Mm -hmm. um, how they see learning. And that is the people who designed that originally. And I think that's kind of been modified over the years. So I think that what it looks like now isn't the way it looked like then um, when it first came out. But it was very it comes from a very behaviorist perspective, right, where it's like, you know, punishment, reward. It was based on, I mean, that's what the whole thing, it was a classroom management tool. It mm-hmm. was about, you know, giving, you know, stickers or marking down or, and it was all based on the minutiae of behavior. And there might be a place for that. They're absolutely, I, and I I don't want to completely dismiss it because I think there's a place for some of that in classrooms, this, this, the, depending on the types of learners you're working with, there may be some types of things like that needed at times. However, the, if that's the if that's the focus of learning, if like there are so many classrooms in which that became the learning, that became the main support for learning, um, and I think that's that reflects the the learning theories of of the people involved.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think I, I might even say it's more strongly than that. I think they are fi- they are manifestations of the the particular learning theories, right? And you can say that about. Apps which are specifically designed, like Class dojo, that are educational technologies, but I think in the same way that we've been talking about space as a technology, space is a physical, whether it's digital or physical. it is a manifestation of learning theory, and if we don't recognize that, then we are missing a, an, an incredibly important piece of the way that learning environments function and and the way that we create context for our kids to learn in right i mean so so i think this idea of like class class dojo it doesn't just reflect a, a theory of learning it manifests a theory of yeah. learning in the world and it reinforces and recapitulates uh, a learning theory in the world and if we're not aware of that that's that's a problem right because that means we're doing onto children uh some something without knowing what we're doing right we're just we're just saying oh well this is the status quo and and i think one of the things if we step back and say well what's the status quo well right now in this country the status quo is not so great right and maybe not just in this country but the but you know the systems that we have are 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 systematically oppressive to certain groups of people and right. and 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 physical and digital manifestations of that that don't take that into consideration and tape, take a step back and say, how is this thing uh, a manifestation of that in the world are, are going to be problematic.
1: Yeah. I think the, it, it's troubling, not just because it's a manifest manifestation of learning theory. Um, and not only because it communicates to students what learning is, but I think mm. the, the other part is it communicates to parents in the community what learning is. And that, you know, sort of propagates this, you know, bigger idea that learning isn't it's it comes back to that transfer, it comes back to that, you know, transmission model of of learning, which is not where you and I are, right? right. It's it's and I and I think that's the you know, and if you've been with us through this part at this part of the, you know, our our, our podcast, you know that you know that we're about learning by doing, we're learning by talking, you know, social learning. And and these design principles we've been talking about is really a way, you know, kind of a, I don't want to say a backhanded way of trying to promote that Where it is like, okay, if we can focus on the designing of this, then maybe we can help to, you know, help people see, you know, how space can afford those kinds of learning. And yeah, I think that's yeah. the, the, the end around maybe of what we're trying to do with those.
0: Right. I mean, I, I think, the tricky thing is and and i don 't want to over um, emphasize this, but I do want to take it into consideration like if we think about anti racism like one of the fundamental ideas about anti racism is that you 're either racist or you 're anti racist there's no such thing as neutral right and and so i I do want to take that up in the sense of if you are neutral, what you really mean is you're maintaining the status quo. And so if you're doing that without recognizing what the status quo is, then, then that's bad, right? That's, that's a fundamental problem. And, and, um, and the slippery thing is, you know, to your point, yeah, we talk about talk and doing and practices and all these things. Um, but lots of, you know, lots of behaviorist, uh, grounded ways of thinking about classrooms talk about those similar things too. So, so there's a lot of nuance in here too, right. that can make it very slippery in the same way that racism can be a slippery thing that sort of morphs around try, uh, attempts to characterize it. Um, you know, this, these structures that we have in place do the same thing. So, so it it is, it's a weirdly complicated thing to talk about, um, learning theory and, and how it undergirds all our educational and learning systems. And like you say, it's all connected, right? What happens in a classroom is also connected to how parents think about teaching and learning because they have notions about that, that, that are deeply grounded in their apprenticeship of observation, right? I was just going to yeah. go there. Right?
1: Yeah. So they,
0: so they, they have a hard time and then they push back, right? Like if you say, well, here's the way that we're going to organize things, they say, whoa, 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 you can't do that. That's like not that, how that's, I learned. What's this new math thing you're doing? It's yeah. like, whoa, well, here's the thing, dude. So yeah, it's um, it's it's a systemic problem, right? Like so many of these things. It's not a simple, like, oh, I'm just gonna change a little thing about the way I teach. Um, that that is a piece of the giant puzzle, but it's much more complicated than that.
1: I so appreciate the uh, connections to to anti-racism. I so appreciate that because one of the things that, so I've read that book uh, twice and mm. my daughter just read it for a class. And so we've been talking about it uh, a lot and I just never, I I've never connected it from uh, or connected to my practices as a teacher in terms of learning, in terms mm. of learning theory and, and how, what I am doing is either, you know, what, or what a teacher does is either supporting the status quo or actively working against the status quo. And there's no neutral. And that is really powerful, Scott. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be spinning around in my brain all day because it's, it is a radical way of looking at what we do as teachers and how we support learners. Mm -hmm. And I think that, deserves some, first off, three claps for Scott.
0: Three claps for the big dog.
1: And then also it deserves some more unpacking. Cause I yeah. think that is something that is, I, I don't know if people are talking about that in terms of not like, I, I know people are talking about that from a classroom perspective in terms of how we support all learners, right. Mm-hmm. Using our classroom as an anti-racist space, but in terms of it being something that is moving away from didactic teaching where it's more student centered discourse based that is and viewing that as not anti racist but anti i don't know something else right um yeah yeah,
0: that's, well, that's really I have radical. A notion of what the ante is, but we'll save that for down the road. Because I think there is an anti-something there, but um, but I think like um, I because I think we need to unpack some theory before we start talking about what. No, no, I I I think so too. Yeah. but I but I just want to pick one example that has come up recently because um, it's the end of the semester, um, and one of the things that happens at the end of the semester is you have to fill out forms for student teachers. Yes, and and to to say how well they did at whatever they did, and and so um, my wife Christine is also a, a, a teacher educator, and she also supervises student teachers, and so we talk about this stuff, and so we were looking at the PDE form, right the the uh, Pennsylvania the Department of 430, like 430. Right. The infamous 430. <laughs> Yay. And and you know, like you want to talk about an instantiation of learning theory. This is another example. And mm-hmm. and the the key word that I'm going to pick up on here because we had a conversation about it, not you and I, Christine and I, and then and then you mentioned this term as well, which is classroom management, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a thing that we entirely take for granted, but has built into it so much interesting and from my point of view. Pernicious learning theory, right? Yeah. This idea that classrooms are to be managed, right? Yeah. Which is to say that the humans in them are to be managed. And that one turn of phrase, if you if you change relationship, that's a relationship. It is, yeah. and it, you, if you change classroom management to relationships with students, you you've transformed in some sense your understanding of what goes on in classrooms, but. But that is so ingrained in the system. Like you can't you can't even talk to people about teaching without somebody mentioning classroom management. Okay. And this and this goes back to class dojo. This goes back to learning spaces, right? You know, mm-hmm. like why why is it that learning spaces are organized the way they are? Well, they're organized that way because they are easier to manage people in those and it's harder to manage people if they're in small groups and they're spread out at tables, and it's easier to manage them if they're all facing the front end. and their
1: power dynamics at play there. Of course. yeah, And that's, I think, you know, that's the thing that we miss is the power dynamics. Uh, Well, you and I don't miss them. Um, You know, I I, I just think back to like my first or second year of teaching and uh, I was going to be observed by my my principal and they would just show up. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. announce. They would just show up. Yeah. And so. uh, Did they have a checklist? uh, They, I don't like, Mm -hmm. I had two principals and they were um, funny they were, it was Dick and Jane. One was the, the, <laughs> the main principal was named, his name was Dick. And, uh, the, and the other one was Jane. She was the assistant. And, There's a whole
0: generation of people that will not get why that's funny. Right. I'm just going to say, yeah. but okay.
1: So, but if, uh, if the main principal was coming in, he added, he had a checklist and mm. he came in one day and he says, oh, I'll, I'll come back when you're teaching."
0: Yes, this is another one
1: because the room was the students were up doing things, moving around. And I said, if you're going to come back to look for a time when I'm going to be standing in front of a classroom teaching, then then that's going to like you're going to miss a lot. Right, Right. you're going to miss a lot of what happens in this classroom. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are times, absolutely, where I stand in front of a classroom. But there's also times when he would he would come in and that students are standing on tops of tables and dropping Mm -hmm. things and you know measuring things and doing all sorts of things and down on the floor. And you know if that's what if he is looking for that as learning with you know and I had another principal who came in who on his observation talked about. Um, a student got up um, to go pen, sharpen their pencil, and you know he berated me for not having her ask first. Right. That's like what, like that? And it, that comes back to that power dynamic that I uh, manage. T- students, learners need to be controlled. They need to be managed. They need to be, you know, kept in their place. And me as the teacher needs to. And and I, I don't know. That just has never been something. This is also the same principal came around and measured every single flag in the building to make sure that they were all the same um literally that's the truth he measured at like came in while Mm. i was teaching he goes i just need to measure your flag do you know how big your flag is i'm like what (laughs) and like i have no like i i and i look around i think yeah there it is back there in the corner Mm -hmm. yeah and he goes okay and he pulled it down measured it all right thanks I'm like, yeah. this is it the building
0: specifications,
1: building principle, like the yeah. building principle of a school of like, like at the time it was like a school of probably 2,800 students, you know, ninth through 12th grade. And yeah. he's, his work was measuring the flags in the school. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Instructional leader right there, bro. Yeah. That's, that's, an what that,
0: that's what it is. That's, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, the word that comes to mind to me when you're when you're describing all this is like dehumanizing. Right. This is not. Oh, it's yeah. Not, it's, it's about treating students as non-human. Right. As, as they should they should not. This is not about helping them self-actualize as human beings. It's not trying to help them have a better life. It's about getting them to sit down and shut up so that they learn that that's what their role is. Right. And and I think that's a, it's a phew, boy, man. And, and your point, you know, too again, goes back to this, like how systematic this is. It's in everything. Yeah. It's in the way you're observed. It's in the way you're evaluated. It's in the way that parents think about what your job is. It's in the way that your kids think what your job is, right? Cause this is a classic. Other example is, when you change the way that you teach, your kids will push back. Your students say, wait, I don't like this. Like, what are we doing? Like, I just want the answers so that I can give you the answers so that mm-hmm. you can give me my grade and I can get out of here. What happened? Like this whole new thing that you're trying out here, I don't like it. It's not good. And and that's how, you know, if we really want to get esoteric for a second, this jumps up to like Michel Foucault the and the Panopticon and the idea of like we – in the in an ideal in the in a society that is organized by power, um, people do this to themselves. They self monitor. They say, "Yeah, my job is to be a good person, and a good person means that I sit quietly in my seat and I do my homework every night, and and I get a good grade for that." So um, I know we're pretty deep in the weeds here. So maybe we got to. I was back just. Out, I but, just was
1: going to call it out, right?
0: Yeah, there. Yeah, I knew you if, were going to. So.
1: If if people are keeping track of like the most esoteric episode of Welcome. so far, so, so far, that you can all hearken back to episode thirty nine, where Scott <sighs> drops
0: Foucault. Foucault. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, man. But uh, oh, but that's, that's I I just well i won't I, I don't I don't know if I should save this for for joys because i'm not sure this is a joy but i but I have been listening to a podcast about philosophers, and the most recent one I listened to was about michel foucault so um so uh, it's sort of in my head recently yeah. so that i mean if that doesn't peg me as like a super nerd i don't know what does like listening to a Michel Foucault philosophy right. podcast. I mean, really does it get any worse than that? If I if I was simultaneously watching back episodes of Star Trek while listening to a Michelle Foucault podcast yeah. and and making some kind of connections like, you know, Commander Data is blah blah blah. <laughs> oh jeez. Right. And like it,
1: you're you're you've opened your eyes to all of the underlying, okay. you know, philosophical Stories behind Star Trek. That's that brilliant. right there. All you have to do is write a paper about it and get it published, yeah. and you're, you're done.
0: Yeah. Jean Luc Picard, philosopher king.
1: Yes. There
0: yeah. Is. Yeah. That's going to be there. It is. Yeah. And then if I would write a paper on it and get it published in an obscure journal, then that seven people would read. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. If I'm lucky. You just need to get a gerund a couple
1: uh, colons in in the title, yeah, and you're. Yeah. You. Yeah. Everybody Perhaps. likes a
0: gerund and a sure. colon.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. we could look to see how many papers have actually been published with both of those and I think that ding 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 you, know. ding. you win a <laughs> yeah. you win a prize. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to higher education.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, uh, that, so so you was... dragged you've dragged us back from the brink of total esoteric uh so thank well, you.
1: Well, I, I you know, I just want to take a couple of bricks off of the ivory tower a little bit to kind of bring us back to, you know, you know, things that things that people care about. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we do need to talk about learning theory because, you know, we, we play in that, that sandbox all the time. This is, this is where mm-hmm. we live and this is where we're, we're comfortable. And, and I think the way we have to approach this is in a way that is still accessible. And I'm not saying dumbing it down, but I'm saying making the connection that, I mean, the, I, I always come back to the fact that we I love the title of our podcast the the mm-hmm. in between and I think it's the in, in between is where you and I it's the in between not just between the physical and 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 the digital but also between theory and practice and mm-hmm. and you know and that's I think where we are the most comfortable and also the most effective I think that's where we're as teacher educators and and professional developers. And as as thinkers and scholars, that's where we, you know, that's a safe space for us to be effective and communicate to people. And because we are, we've walked the walk. In terms of being teachers on boots in the ground in the classroom, you know I hate that phrase boots on the ground, but who were people in there who have you know worked with students and worked with real students and 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 challenging students and and been people who have done that and also can think about it from you know really esoteric spaces too, and I think the fact that we are able to you know. Live in that in between world and and thrive there, not to, and i you know I don't mean to like yeah. you know pat us on the back so mm. much, but I think that's mm. but i th- think that's where we are and we yeah. we're comfortable there whereas i i don't know if you know yeah I don't know if everyone well, is as comfortable there
0: no, I think that's right i think um and I think uh to your point that in between space you know we we can get. Uh, i don't know if caught is the right word but you know like i think we've both had this experience where you know when we're when we're with practitioners when we're with teachers whether those are pre-service teachers or in-service teachers or whatever we can be seen as um to a, to your to your term uh, ivory tower like oh mm-hmm. you don't really understand how classrooms really work you know the, but the flip side of that is we can also be seen by people in academia and the research world as oh like You're too, you know, you're too practice focused. Like you're not, you're not theoretical enough. You don't really understand these big weighty issues that we're dealing with. And I think um, that that can be hard, but I do think both of us are here because this is the interesting space for us, right? This Mm -hmm. is the place where we really find interesting questions, interesting problems, interesting things to think about, um, which is at this intersection of how does theory help us understand how practice can be better and to even make even get our heads around what it means for for a for better like what does better mean right like did you know bet does better mean higher test scores does better mean more efficient does better like can we think about what better means too so um yeah i like i like being in between and i like um i like being a a, a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll and, <laughs> nice <laughs> and uh, you know <laughs> No, there, not, there are a lot
1: people who have no idea what you're talking yeah. about there. But uh, that's
0: uh, that's not as bad as Dick and Jane, but it's pretty close. Uh, it's pretty close to Dick and Jane.
1: Well, I, I want to point out something here that this is, you know, we've been talking about in between, you know, the science in between. It, it was born out of the digital one you know, face-to-face, the remote stuff that we were doing at the time. And then we, you know, theory and practice. But this episode itself is serving as the in-between episode between Mm -hmm. us talking about practice and space and discourse, and then moving into some theory stuff. It's the in-between. Meta meta
0: man has just pulled it out.
1: That's where I am. That's where because it's, you know, and I think that's probably a pretty good place for us to, you know, move into joys. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, uh, you want to go first?
1: I I have been binging a TV show. A TV mm-hmm. show. Yeah, I guess it's a, a Netflix show. A, a, uh, a,
0: a, a, a episodic video thing.
1: Yes. What whatever you want to call them, because do people not everybody watches them on television, right? They could be watching them on their smartphone. A show. Yeah. A a streaming show on Netflix yeah. called Lupine.
0: Have you heard of this? Lupine. You want to spell that for me? That will help.
1: L-U-P-I-N. It's French.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. It's uh yeah yeah. It's um he's like an investigator, right? It's a guy, no, no he's not, not that inve-
1: no, no, it I think you might have, it, have the guy, a,
0: but just have it wrong.
1: Right. Well it's it's he's he's a burglar the oh
0: right 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 right, right. Okay,
1: yeah sorry. and he's being investigated but so yeah. it's a heist show and so if if you're into like oceans 11 or any of the oceans episodes or if you're into logan lucky um mm-hmm. you know okay. there's a lot of that in oceans 11 yeah it's no. a lot of that is in its dna yeah absolutely
0: okay, okay.
1: but like uh or if you were you know, into like alias, you remember that show with Jennifer Garner, you know, that was one of the first, um, you know, shows of its kind at the time. Um, there's a lot of that in its DNA too. So we have this, this guy who he's a gentleman burglar. Um, he's not, his, his name isn't Lupine. Um, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. But because uh, it's uh, we're reading the subtitles. It's in French. Yeah. And right. it's a it's a, a a five episode arc, at least the first series or first part is what I think I, what they call it in, on Netflix. So there's this five episodes in which. Um, he 's motivated as a burglar for you know his own personal reasons, but he 's constantly changing his appearance through costumes and through disguises and he 's like kind of a hacker and he you know he 's that uh that classic you know, and antagonist, right? Like protagonist, like one of those Mm -hmm. people who's, he's a good guy, but a bad guy, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, he's doing bad stuff, but he's also- Breaking
0: bad sort of thing.
1: Right. And Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, his motivations are in a good place, um, but he sometimes makes bad decisions and you're still like, you know, and he's super cool um, and super smart and- Yeah, and there are times when you're just like going, oh, how's he going to get out of this? And then voila, he does. And it's so cool. So it's that kind of like, and you don't always know where the episodes are going because sometimes they're jumping around in time, like they're jumping to his childhood or two days ago. And I always like those shows that are respecting you as a viewer enough to make you do the heavy lifting of watching and paying attention. And I love it. It's awesome. I binged it. It, It's great. And it's like each episode is like less than an hour and there's only five out there. So it's a good, you know, couple day thing, or for some of you out there, maybe a good afternoon, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, this is a bit of a, sorry, a a side uh, conversation that we, but, but it reminded me of it. So I just want to mention it. I I heard a, this is not my joy, but this is a thing related to what you were just describing. Um, I did hear a podcast and they were doing sort of analysis of, um, you know, how, television, quote unquote, television has evolved and especially episodic television. And one of the things that they were talking about is the, w- the way we have these much more sophisticated and complex mm-hmm. television shows now. But, but an interesting thing that they said about that was part of the reason for that is that in the olden days when you and I used to watch television, the people who wrote television programs. A had to assume that people might have missed episodes because you could like you couldn't catch up. Like you couldn't, mm-hmm. like, oh, and so so there was always built into them some sort of um I don't know what the right word is, but connections, right? So mm-hmm. they're like backs backstory and and also the plots had to be relatively simple and self-contained because each episode had to sort of stand alone because you saw it this week and you saw it next week. So there could be recurring characters, but it was hard to have big long arcs of story over multiple episodes, especially that had any kind of detail, like you're describing with uh, Lupine, right? Because you'd lose track of stuff because it'd be a week and, and sometimes you'd miss episodes. And so I think that's really interesting that one of the things that Netflix did and many of these other you know, services as they move to streaming um, was allow for much more complicated, mm-hmm. sophisticated television to be made, which is why we're in the golden age of television. People talk about this like this is the golden age of television. Well, part of the reason is now you can watch a whole season in a weekend where, you know, that wasn't that wasn't possible when and, you and, and I were.
1: It gives, you know, a lot of complex storytelling, a lot of yeah. in-depth you know, analysis of character and motivation. It's so cool. It really is. And, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I I will pick something also from Netflix, but on almost the literal opposite end of the spectrum from that in the sense that uh, it's not episodic. It's not complex in that way, right? Each episode, Um, but it's middle ditch and Schwartz. Um, So this is, I don't uh, know this at all. So this is a three, ep- I think it's three, maybe four. I should know this. Um, I've watched it a couple of times now, but um, but each episode stands alone. So so I don't think of it as connected, right? Um, even though it is in some respects. So this is long form improvisational comedy from two guys, one guy who you probably know best from Silicon Valley, if you saw that show, and the other guy from Parks and Rec, um... And these two guys, um, do like these, uh, these shows are incredible little gems that not only are hilarious and worth watching once, but, but reward multiple viewings of really understanding what they're doing and how they do this. Um, and you know, like I'm not, I'm not a real comedy nerd. Like there are people who are real comedy nerds, um, but I like interesting comedy stuff like Mister Show and you know st- um, stuff that is a little you know off kilter, sort of uh, the Monty Python of its time, right? Um, sure. So Middle Ditch and Schwartz is is great, and and if you um, if you just like funny stuff, you'll like it. But if you like really weird, interesting, funny stuff, um, weird is probably the wrong way, but to describe it because i think it's not weird but but the but the reviewing of it seeing it multiple times it is um is rewarded so i'll have to check
1: it out because when we've watched parks and rec and that that guy is is the funniest guy on the show i think yeah and uh, and the the
0: guy that mid um that's middle ditch who's the other guy who's from have you seen silicon valley i have not okay so he's i know who he is arguably the funniest guy on silicon valley too but but uh, he's the main character at the very least on Silicon Valley, so
1: I'll check it out because I I know that uh, like my son really enjoys that. You know, it, with this it comes back to you know one of the themes that you've been talking about the last couple of episodes is this whole you know disciplined improvisation, which I mm-hmm. I blogged about that just just recently because you know, I was look. thinking about oh you know it's like you're you're seeding things in it's my brain. It's all connected. It is all connected. You know, a lot of cross pollination <laughs> here. So yeah. that's that's cool stuff. So it kind of brings back a little bit to the the shows, the conversations we've been having here.
0: So yeah, that's cool for sure. Yeah,
1: awesome. Well,
0: there we go. There we go. Another one in the can. Yeah, episode thirty nine done. Episode thirty nine, and and next time, tune in for John Dewey. John Dewey
1: Day. Yeah, John Dewey Day. Yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm. I'm just. In, yeah. yeah, I
0: can't. We're not, we're not even. We're not even going to tell you some of the exciting things that we're going to do on John Dewey Day.
1: Are Are you going to sing? Well, I guess it's not his birthday. It's not his birthday, so we can't sing happy birthday. We could sing a
0: dirge like
1: uh, uh. (laughs) Gregorian (laughs) chant. Yeah, there you go.
0: That'd be nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe not.
0: Chanting for John. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next time on Signs in Between. We'll see you then. Yeah.